The reading today is Mark 11, reading verses 1 to 11. It's Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks for that, Nicola. Well, look at these faithful brothers and sisters that made it today. Rain, wind, hail, um, also daylight saving. Did that get anyone else? Was it just me? I got up and was like, why is it so early? I'm confused. <laughs> just, just me? Uh, that does happen from time to time. Um, let's pray before we get into God's word a little bit more. Let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, thank you for an opportunity that we have once again to come before your word with open hearts and open minds to hear you speak. Lord, we pray that that is what you'll bless us with this morning. Lord, we might hear your words. We might hear you speak uh, into uh, our hearts in wherever we are at with you, Lord, whatever our weeks have been like, Lord, wherever, um, however we've been travelling. Lord, we just pray that you might have a word that speaks to us all. Lord, we pray that you might um, speak through me, your servant, Lord, um, clearly and truthfully of your word. And Lord, uh, we just might get out a lot, a lot out of your word today. We just pray this now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Uh, who here procrastinates? Anyone? Okay, those who didn't put their hands up are still procrastinating as to whether or not they should put oh, yeah, well, we, you know, uh, perhaps some worse than others, but we can all be a little bit of, um, we can all suffer a little bit from procrastinating. You know, we procrastinate on jobs that um, we need to do, but for whatever reason, we don't want to. You know, there's that task you should be doing, um, but instead, before, just before you start it, I'll just need to rearrange all of the emails in my inbox and... You know, and look at those paper clips in that drawer. They're just so, they're all over the place. They need to be lined up. And best thing about like working from home is that procrastinating can mean at least you get the washing done. You know, I don't know if you've ever had that, you know, and then you get the washing done and then the recycling and then, you know, you can like, you know, line up all of the sauce bottles in the fridge by height order and you can arrange all of the pegs by colour, coordinating, you know, all the important things, all the things that need to get done. But we, uh, we procrastinate for a bunch of different reasons, don't we? We procrastinate because perhaps, you know, just whatever it is we need to do is going to be really boring. Like, I don't know, those who <laughs> struggle with getting their tax started. 
oh man, started, finished, whatever. Uh, you know, it's, it's, that's one of those jobs for me. It was like, oh my gosh, I just, it's not going to be an entertaining experience. It's hard to get myself into it. Or we procrastinate over a task that we know is going to be a challenge. You know, like um, anyone who's been studying in the not too distant past, there's that assignment and you're like, oh man, this assignment, like, I can't just sit down there and just start, I've got to actually think about it. You know, like I've got to like really apply my and focus to it. Uh, and that can be a reason for putting things off. But uh, one of the main reasons we procrastinate is uh, feeling stress over something. I was watching a video on it this week talking about uh, feeling stress over something is one of the main reasons that we procrastinate over something. You know, if there's something stressful happening in your life, let's say one of your parents is ill, you're not going to be that productive in work because you've got something big going on. Or if the task in particular that you're uh, facing fills you with feelings of stress or fear or dread, then that is one of those big factors for procrastinating, putting off this thing that you know that you need to do because of how it makes you feel, the stress that wells up in your body when you're thinking about it. <clears throat> Jesus, at this point in his ministry, has been on this long trip to Jerusalem and he's kind of been going everywhere else first, right? He's been going this long, winding trip, going through all of these places. He certainly didn't take the quick road there. In fact, he did the opposite. The disciples comment a couple of times, like, why are we going this way? Why are we going through Samaria? Why, you know, why are we going through these places on our way to Jerusalem? But Jesus seems to be taking his time about something that's going to happen when he gets to Jerusalem because he knows, of course, what the road will look like when he finally arrives at Jerusalem. He knows that it won't be too long until the time comes when he needs to pick up his cross when he arrives at Jerusalem. And it seems as though Jesus is putting it off as long as he can. He's taking the scenic route. He's stopping in every village and doing all of the teachings and the healings that he can along the way. Until we get to this day, until we get to this moment when uh, it's no longer a question, when it's no longer an option to, to take a long time to do the scenic route, the time has come, um, his moment has arrived. And we know, obviously, that Jesus understands what's happening here because even in the way he uh, instructs the disciples shows that he has a lot of foreknowledge about what is happening and what's going to happen in Jerusalem. Uh, he tells them, doesn't he, in verse 2 and 3, Go into that village over there. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied that no one has ever ridden. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs it and we'll return it soon. Yeah, he's, he says there'll be this donkey there and someone will ask you about it. Um, when they do, just say, it's for me. And that's exactly what happens. They go, there's someone there. They ask them, well, hey, what are you doing with that donkey? <laughs> uh, I don't think that's yours. He's, they say, it's for the Lord. And off they go. Now, obviously, the people who stopped them knew who Jesus was, or at least heard about it, or at least were interested and excited about what was to come as Jesus enters Jerusalem because they let him have it. Hey, it seems like a pretty weak excuse. Rocking up to someone's house, oh, I'm take your car. Oh, um, yeah, the, the governor needs it. I'll just, the mayor needs it. I'll just, you know, like, unless they know exactly what it is he's talking about. They wouldn't be so keen just to hand it over. Um, but they do, likely because there's this buzz about 
what Jesus is doing. There's, it's this, the word is getting around that something's going to happen, and particularly when he gets into Jerusalem, the, the centre of power, that's when we're going to really see the fireworks start to fly. Um, he goes on in verse 7, sorry, it's a bit small. Um, then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw garments over it and sat on it. Many in the crowd spread garments on the road ahead of him and others spread leafy branches, but they cut in the fields. Jesus was in the centre of the procession and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God! Blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessing on the kingdom of God, our kingdom of our ancestor David and praise to God in the highest. They bring this little donkey and they throw a cloak on it and off they go to Jerusalem. And as, as they start to head to Jerusalem, it seems as though the crowd starts to gather. Perhaps a procession is gathering around Jesus as he goes, following with him. And as they're going along, uh, they start to sing and start to shout, Hosanna in the highest, or as it's, as it's translated in this one, praise be. Blessings be. Praise God. Obviously, many have heard about what's going on with Jesus and they cheer him on as they come into the capital. Uh, me and Deb used to always argue about what was a fern and what was a leaf. Or what was a fern, what was a palm. She would be like, I'd be bring some things and she'd be like, no, they're ferns. I'm like, Isn't it all the same? <laughs> fern, palm, palm, fern. It's not a very Easter thing, is it, to be arguing about such things? Um, but it says in the, in the passage we read, leafy branches. So they could have been gum trees for all we know, right? Probably not. Um, but they just brought what was available. They brought what was there. They brought leafy branches, what they had. Um, some of them put their cloaks down on the road. Uh, and the parade was welcoming Jesus like you would a returning king. Welcoming Jesus like you would... A, uh, a general who had been fighting a battle in a faraway land, returning home into the capital city. The people come in their droves to see what is going on and cheer the arrival of the king. Even if they really weren't sure exactly what it was, they were celebrating. Uh, verse 11, it goes on. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went to the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. The parade ends. They get to, into Jerusalem. It's obviously getting a bit later in the afternoon. Um, he goes, has a look around the temple. Kind of see what's happening there. He'll be back in a day or two and turn a few tables and make a bit of a, make a, bit of a noise when he's there. But at this point, he's just there to have a bit of a look. And uh, then they return to Bethany. That's kind of about... Um, 40 minutes walk from the main city. So you've kind of got the city with the big city walls and then there's all some people tightly packed inside that city because if, if there's an army attacks, that's where everyone retreats to, gets behind the walls. But then outside of that, you've got kind of the, the, the surrounding suburbs, for lack of a better word, some of the surrounding towns. Um, Bethany was one of these towns. So he decided not to stay in the inner city, but in Bethany. Perhaps the modern equivalent is like staying at like North Narrabeen Caravan Park, you know, instead of the CBD. You know, he's, he's, he's out of all of the hustle and the bustle and what's going on there, um, but close enough to be able to go into the city and, and, and to, to get involved in what's happening. Perhaps he stays outside because um, it's full and it's crowded. It's festival time. And in the city walls, it's just packed. There's not enough room. 
But it's also likely perhaps he stays outside the city wall because he knows that there are enemies there. And that if he sits a bit further out, it's a bit, it's a bit safer. He's a bit further away from those whom he knows are looking to do him harm. A familiar story. I'm sure you've heard before. I'm sure we've, we've, uh, you've heard that passage read a number of times. But as we sit and we read it 2,000 years later, the trick for us is to try and get our head around some of the nuance of what's going on there. Some of the, some of the, the between the lines story of what's happening on that day. And for me, as I was thinking about that this week, and I was doing some reading about it, I thought to myself, you know, the, one, of, one of the things we probably don't pick up on as much as we read it all these years later is kind of, in some ways, how strange the whole procession must have been to the average onlooker. How bizarre. And in some ways, kind of how lame a parade it was. Like, so disorganised. No big procession, no chariots, no big, you know, guards and, and, and formations of soldiers. None of that kind of stuff. No big entourage, not even a big horse. He comes in on, on like a baby donkey, a colt, right? Not like a full-grown donkey, but a donkey that's so small that no one's actually ever ridden this donkey before. That would have been a bit of a sight because it was likely that his feet were almost on the ground as he's coming in. You know, it's kind of like when you see a big kid get on their, their little brother's bounce bike and their knees are like sticking out the side. You know, it's the, the, the little donkeys, they're the ones he put the kids on have a little ride around. A full-grown man doesn't ride a colt, a donkey like that, because, you know, it's, it's not very impressive a sight at all in some ways. It's, it's kind of a bit odd-looking. Um, you know, you would ride a big, tall war horse or something. That's what we do with the police when there's a crowd. They bring in the, the mounted police because um, they're big, imposing animals, a big, full-grown horse. But also, they sit high above the crowd on that horse. You're like 10, foot, 10 feet up. Everyone can see you and you can see everyone as you're walking along the crowd. But Jesus wasn't 10 feet high in the air. He wasn't up high and everyone was looking up to him. In fact, he was down low amongst the people. Um, he, he could have almost been as though if he stood up, he would have been slightly taller. You know, probably, you know, it could have been that getting on the donkey actually sits him down even lower. What he's doing is he's not coming to be someone that sits above the people. But he's coming to be someone that is amongst it. It's kind of, what's the equivalent today? I don't know. Is it like, um, say, say you know, Albo has a parade, but instead of arriving in a big town car or, a, or an open back convertible, he just rocks up in a Datsun 180B and uh, winds down the window and waves as he goes along. And, and people just, oh, they're just like throwing scrap paper. There's no ticker tape or whatever. They're just kind of chucking whatever they've got out in front of him. Um, the media would have had a field day, wouldn't they? They would just think it was the funniest thing they'd ever seen. Well, perhaps for some that day, when they see Jesus come in the way that he does, that's kind of their, they're like, what is this? What is this guy? If you weren't in the know about this Jesus character, you'd just be like, what is happening with this guy? I like this drawing because like, his, his feet aren't too far off the ground. Like, he's not, they're probably drawn him bigger than he, than he should be in that picture. But um, it's, yeah, it's not the sort of entry at all that your um, returning king would have had. And yet, and yet, we remember this as a really important moment in the ministry of Jesus and quite a, pivot, a pivotal moment 
in this Easter narrative, in this final week and a bit or whatever it is of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. The people that day, even if they did not understand what it was they were doing, were welcoming the King of Kings into the holy city. It's likely most of them didn't quite know what it is they were celebrating. A lot of them perhaps thought what they were celebrating was this guy who was going to come and who was going to like change the, 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 the government structure, who was going to over, kick out the Romans and overthrow the, the Herod, who was a bit of a, a, bit of a puppet kind of um, ruler. You know, it was likely they were celebrating that. They were celebrating this kind of, wow, look at this political moment that is this, this guy, this, this spiritual guy like the prophets of old is going to come and seize some power. But yet what they were doing unwittedly was celebrating the king of kings as he was coming into his final days. They were worshipping the king of kings in his final moments, which is a, 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 a glimmer, a reflection of what it will be like in heaven when all will worship the King of kings and Lord of lords, but then in, in full glory. Now, not even understanding entirely what they are doing. Um, the Passion of the Christ, if you've seen that movie, um, it is a great movie but not one I like to watch, um, I think paints this picture really well. Uh, obviously, the Passion of the Christ starts later. It starts after the triumphal entry. Um, it starts in the Garden of Gethsemane, I believe, uh, and it kind of goes through to the death and the resurrection. But what um, you have when Jesus is on the streets carrying his cross, that long scene where he's carrying his cross, and as he's carrying the cross, all you kind of get these snapshots of his, his view, what he sees. And what he sees is just people yelling and jeering crying for his blood. And then as he's doing that, they, they, they intermingle it. They, 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 they um, juxtapose them next to what Jesus saw just a few days earlier. It flashes between these two. You know, a few days earlier, these same streets, perhaps not these same people, but in this same spot, those were welcoming him as a king and those are the ones that are jeering crying for his blood and for his death. And there's this beautiful juxtaposition. I remember when I first saw that in the movie, that opened my eyes to something that I hadn't thought of before and painted it in a really beautiful visual way. What Jesus would have been seeing as he's going. You know, he, he's, he sees these, these same streets and yet there are two different ways with, with which people respond to him in this place. Some respond in praise and worship. Some respond in rejection and in jeering. But what makes this moment, what makes this moment on the street welcoming him um, so important? What is it that makes it so powerful? Well, for me, I think part of what makes it so important and what makes it so powerful is that what you have is this spontaneous and heartfelt response to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You have people bringing whatever it is they have in worship to their Lord. They might not fully have understood what it was that they were doing. They didn't come waving flags and banners. They didn't come with gold and silver and all that kind of stuff. They came waving branches and they came just laying down like the cloak they were wearing that day. No fancy parades, 
Um, nothing special, nothing amazing. But what you have is people coming to the Lord with their open hearts in praise and worship of God. And I think that is an important takeaway for us. Um, when, we were, when I was at college, uh, we would occasionally go to different um, churches and visit churches and see what they're going, what would happen there and how it would all work and all that kind of stuff. One of the places we visited was the church out, I think it was maybe Seven Hills, I can't remember exactly. And it was this really dingy old church. You can picture the exact kind of church that I'm talking about. You know, it was made in the 70s and hadn't been touched since. And it was very worn and it was very dark inside. It was like a warm day and it was just dark inside. It was really dingy. Anyway, we went there in the middle of the week. I wasn't sure why exactly. But we had this, had this week, um, weekly uh, communion service. And a few people would gather. Like, the college students basically tripled the audience. You know, it was like the biggest day they'd had in a long time, obviously. And we're having this communion... And uh, the minister who led it, um, when she led this communion service, she led it with her whole heart. And I remember just sitting back and looking at it. We're in this really dingy, not attractive place at all. But she's just pouring her heart out to God in the way that she's leading this communion service. And she's you know, taking the elements and she's on her knees in praise and worship of God. There was no band. There was no great music. Right? There, was no, there was no pomp and ceremony. But there was this heart that was open to connect to God's heart. And I remember thinking of that. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, that's kind of what communion is meant to be about. Like, that's, that's what it's about. It's about God's people connecting with him. It's about God's children you know, opening their hearts to their father who loves them dearly and who wants to know them more. No flashing lights and bells and whistles. None of that sort of stuff at all. But the question for me that arises from this passage is, um, do we bring our whole hearts to God in worship to him? Do we bring what we have, our heartfelt response to God in how we live, in what we do day to day, how we, how we work out our faith? Because um, I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I know that I don't, and I know sometimes that I do the opposite. I know sometimes I actually guard my heart from God. I don't know if you've had that experience, but it's, there's like, oh, there's just some stuff in my heart right now I don't actually want to let God into. There's some stuff in my heart that I know I should really take to God in prayer, but I don't want to because I know it's going to make me feel vulnerable. And I know it's going to actually just make me maybe confront some things I don't really want to right now. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. Um, Sometimes when I'm in uh, the gathering with other Christians and um, we're in a time of worship together, um, I find myself thinking more about the people around me than I am about coming before God. Have you had that experience? Like I'm, I'm worrying more about what people around me are doing or how they're responding or, you know, or I'm worrying is the PowerPoint right? Or, you know what I mean? Like I, these other silly things. And it's like, no. God, God doesn't want perfect PowerPoints. Like, that's nice, right? But he doesn't, he doesn't get everyone together because he wants to put the PowerPoint to be perfect. He gets everyone together because he wants them to open their hearts in worship to him. They want, he wants his people to draw nearer to him. And as I was reading this passage this week and I was thinking about what that looks like for us, I was like, this, this needs to be our encouragement this week, isn't it? As we head into this Easter week, 
and we think about the story of Jesus to seek to open our hearts more to God in worship and in praise, in all of the different ways that we do it, not just singing on a Sunday, um, but in all of the ways we draw close to God, in, in word, in prayer, in having moments of still and quietness. That is a great way with which we can draw close to God. But our encouragement and challenge is in this week to be intentional about opening our hearts in worship to God, that we might see him more in our lives, that we might recognise him more in the day-to-day. You know, Easter, if anything, surely is about knowing more clearly who God is. Because in that story of Jesus, in the story of that last week of Jesus, that is when we see most clearly who God is. That is when he reveals to us, to the whole world, the nature of who God is. The most clear, perfect expression of the nature and the character of God is that that week when we see Jesus sacrifice himself for the love of those who would have him put to death. So as we head into this week, uh, this should be our prayer too, that we see God more clearly, that we have our, our eyes and our hearts open to knowing who he is, to open our hearts to him more to not keep any parts of our, our hearts and our souls locked away from him, but to be vulnerable and to be open in that. You know, what's, what's the greatest commandment that Jesus gave us? He gave us this one. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. He said this was the greatest because he knows this was the most important and everything else will flow from it. If we love the Lord our God with all our heart, our mind and our soul. Ben, can I invite you up? We're going to sing uh, a song we haven't done for a long time, but one which is really beautiful in a lot of ways. It's Open the Eyes of My Heart, if you know it. Um, And as we sing it, I want you to sing it as a bit of a prayer. A prayer that we might draw nearer to God. Let me pray now while the band's getting ready. Lord, we just thank you so much for your word, for the way it speaks truth into this world, the way it speaks into the lives of us, your people, for whom um, we stand so far away from the events of those days. We, we, we are at the opposite end of history, Lord, in, from um, the day that Jesus walked those streets. Lord, but yet that moment still shapes who we are now. This week, as we head into it, shapes who we are today. Lord, I pray that we will not resist being changed. I pray, Lord, that we will not resist having our hearts open to something new. Lord, I pray that there might be things this week that confront us, things that we don't like to think about. Lord, I pray that we will, we will let them confront us. We will be confronted Lord, they might shake us and change us and make us feel uncomfortable. And Lord, in that, we might know more clearly who you are and open ourselves up more to being changed by the work of your spirit in us. Lord, I just thank you for this, Lord. I just pray as we sing this next song, this will be a prayer for all of us to open our hearts more to you. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let's stand and sing together.